Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and in this episode, I welcome artist extraordinaire Andre O'Shea to the show to talk about the business and marketing secrets of success in the non-fungible token art space, especially given his recent five-figure sale of a collaboration with Grammy award-winning music producer Ilmide on a series of four pieces, two animated, two still, collectively titled GROW, which is an acronym for Give, Respect, Own, and Win. Andre's body of work is futuristic, ethereal, multidimensional, and thought-provoking. He's a 3D generalist and animator who hails from Georgia, and he's worked on several compelling projects with a wide range of clients, including Adult Swim, Snapchat, Tidal, and John Legend. And in this episode, he shares another amazing project he's been commissioned to participate in. Basically, he's a bright light in the art world and beyond, so I know you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Okay, before we jump into the episode, take a moment to follow and then like, share, and comment so that others who would benefit from this content can find it. And also, I invite you to visit my website, AdvantageEvans.com, to learn more about my full suite of courses focused on the future of money, work, and creativity. And this includes the flagship course from cash to crypto and my new course, the NFT law guide for creatives and collectors. And be sure to register for an upcoming free masterclass on either topic. There's something for everyone from the newbie to the person who wants to take their crypto investments or their creativity to the next level. Seize this opportunity to learn while you earn, create generational wealth and do so safely legally and confidently with multi-lesson modules, live coaching, and community. I'll give you the unbiased facts in plain language and give you a solid foundation. So be sure to visit AdvantageEvans.com for more information. Okay, it's time to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. Today, I am so very honored and straight up like hyped to welcome Andre O'Shea to the show and to celebrate the grand success of his epic non-fungible token drop of GLOW. He'll tell us what that acronym stands for, both the day and the night, animated and still versions on Maker's Place. Andre is inspired to create art for those who wish to soar beyond the trappings of the present and reimagine and build the future. He's recently begun to explore more of his personal creative interests via NFTs, which he describes as being a powerful creative release for him. His art explores themes related to the future, spirituality, journeys, and beauty. He also enjoys creating new worlds and realities that make people think about what is possible instead of what is impossible. He's unapologetically Black and dope and proud, and that really informs his work and his artistic point of view, and it's a beautiful thing to see. A lot of airtime and ink is necessarily devoted to the artistic endeavor of creation, but I want to delve into the business and marketing sides because success in the art world and crypto art in particular requires business acumen to be sure. We'll talk about all of that and more in a moment, but first, Andre, welcome. What an amazing intro. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) If I ever came out with any musical album, that would be my intro to start. <laughs> hey, I'm in. I've made myself indispensable. That is my goal. Um, you deserve <laughs> there, all the flowers. Payments right there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm gonna give you that for free ninety nine because I like it. <laughs> but definitely welcome. It's it's a thrill to sit here and engage with you. I know we've been in in Clubhouse and other areas, and you're my Twitter bestie, but it's lovely to connect in this way with you as well and to share you 
and your tremendous talent with the listeners. So it's, it's my pleasure. Well, thank you for opening your platform to me. It really means a lot to me. And like you said, we've had the opportunity to connect a few times in Clubhouse and on Twitter and just in various other conversations. And, you know, your work is very inspiring to me and very, very, very highly valued and necessary in our space. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. We're having a love fest. I love it. I love to hear it. So before we start out, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, pandemonium, whatever we are calling it this year, and it's had this tremendous impact. And I've asked my guests who've come on in this past year, just how are you authentically? And I ask in particular as usually that strong friend or the person who, by all outward appearances, because I have such a strong social presence, people say, she she must be fine. And it's like, oh, no, I assure you, I'm, I'm not fine. I'm just, I'm doing what I can to stay in this moment. And to use my talents, gifts, and skills to keep it together, right? And to continue to proceed forward, just being intentional about protecting my energy and all those things. And I'm wondering how have you been over this last year, you and yours? Yeah, I'd say I'm kind of um, approaching it from a very similar perspective, just trying to remain present in my day-to-day. Before, you know, the pandemic started, I was already working from home. So the adjustment to working from home has not been as much of the difficulty. It's been more so, I would say, engaging with the outside world, things being closed down initially. Luckily, I live in Atlanta and things are still open. So I still do have access to things that others may not. But like you said, I've just been trying to remain present and trying to remain present in um, the relationships around me with my family and my partner, because uh, I know that going through this pandemic is unique for everybody. So just trying to remain focused on where I can support others. I love it. Well, good. That sounds like an excellent plan. It appears to be serving you well, sir, uh, because you've been presenting to the world some amazing art and really have thrown yourself into the non-fungible tokens art space in a very specific way. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But before, just for those who are listening who may not know about your background and relationship to creativity and your art, set the stage a bit about your artistic point of view, separate and apart from non-fungible tokens, and then we'll get into the nifty space in a minute. Absolutely. So uh, I'm one of those people that was born with a paintbrush in their hand. Um, I had always been an artist since I could ever remember. My earliest memories, well, the earliest memories that my family would tell of me were I was always drawing and I was always doing puzzles and um, uh, and playing with Legos. That's the other one that they said, playing with nice. Legos. <laughs> but uh, I've always been an artist. I've always been extremely pulled to express myself creatively. And um, I've been sort of uh, going, I've been in art schools my whole life as well, just from elementary school into high school. And um, I even majored in studio art in college for a brief time. But um, yeah, just sort of my history with art is it's been living inside of me my entire life. Getting introduced to this NFT space, it really just felt like a perfect synergy of my interests and my talents. And um, also the type of art that I made as well, it just all seemed to align and meet at this perfect intersection. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. That's really interesting because for those artists who are already engaging technology it seems that the transition will be easier. There's nothing particularly easy about getting into the non-fungible token space on either side, perhaps, but at least when you engage with digital technology and that's going to be an easier, at least from the artistic point of view, was that easier to make that transition? I would say so. Yeah. I felt like my journey 
as an artist kind of took me through technology and sort of gave me a baseline understanding of how we can use technology in our future to be artists, but also to enhance art and really exploring where art can go with the addition of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say, yeah, that definitely made the process of getting into the non-fungible space a lot easier for me. That makes sense. Well, what inspired you to enter the NFT space? And when did you mint your first piece? Yeah, so I minted my first piece in October, actually. People had probably been DMing me for, I don't know, four months, six <laughs> months at that point, trying to convince me to get into this space. But I don't think there were good resources yet for educating people. So I think even the artists who were participating in the space didn't really know how to sell it to another artist or convince another artist to get into it. So I had been aware of it and I kind of didn't know what was going on. But in October, I decided, you know, I'm going to try this. I'm going to figure out what this is all about. So Mm -hmm. I signed up for Rarible and I minted two pieces. One was a one-on-one and one was like a 47 of 47. 47 is one of my angel numbers, but I was so confused by the process. I had no idea what was happening. I had no idea how my work was going to be seen. Like I didn't understand that there was a difference between minting and listing. And, you know, I just left that experience and I like was so confused. I said, not yet. And I wanted to take the time to sort of understand the space and how everything worked. So at that time, I didn't even promote, I didn't even post on Twitter or Instagram or anything that I'd minted these pieces. I just sort of let them sit up there. You know, I was still getting introduced to the functionalities of cryptocurrency. So like learning how to set up my ETH wallet was still a process for me. And um, I decided to kind of sit back and watch how things were working. And, um, you know, I was saying to myself, I'm going to build a collection. That's what I've noticed people were successful with. And I had a decent following at the time. And I thought that I could really take off if I just made a collection. But in the meantime, I was sort of just like posting my work, you know, online, getting my Mm -hmm. support from my followers. And um, one day I posted this piece. Uh, It was a landscape with a PlayStation in the background. And one of my buddies, his name is Nikki Chulo. He reached out to me and he said, man, we got to get you minting. We got to get you minting. And I was like, I would love to. I plan on working on a collection, but I feel like there's a lot of gatekeeping in this space here. And I'm noticing a lot of white artists are teaming up and creating factions amongst each other. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm noticing all these sales, but I feel like I'm on the outside. And he was like, "Um, well, I'm actually a part of a black group chat. Uh, on Twitter talking about NFTs, I'll link you in, I'll circle you in. And um, I joined this group on Twitter and, you know, I just, again, was sort of paying attention and listening to what they were saying. Oh, actually that same day, Zora, they reached out to me and they said, Mm. "Uh, we'd love to get you minting. We will send you um, some ETH to mint your first piece. So Mm. I actually minted that that PlayStation piece because I was, I was getting a lot of momentum. I think that piece eventually got like 1400 likes on Twitter or something like that. So I was feeling like there was some momentum behind that piece. And I minted that piece this like that night. And I was like 24 hour auction. That's it. You know, best offer goes, we'll do it. And (laughs) I don't think that piece sold for 18 days. (laughs) Like I was so shocked. And I was like, wow, this is, this is not what I was expecting. Right. Do you think it, you know, you mentioned there's so many wonderful things that you've just said. So I was taking some notes, but let me land on the education piece as an educator. That's always really important to me. When I think about the power and potential of non-fungible tokens to remove the gatekeepers, as you mentioned, or as, you know, the jargony way of saying that, disintermediating the art world to remove those gatekeepers so that you have direct access to your fan base and to collectors and potential collectors is really, really important. That's an important aspect, not just of that tool of empowerment. I see non-fungible tokens as a tool of empowerment, but even beyond that, 
how powerful it is to remove these gatekeepers from the space that has held back marginalized creators. It has also marginalized and kept out would-be collectors. When I think about millionaire, the multimillionaire, the decamillionaire and beyond, you know, a certain amount of exposure in the art world is just par for the course. At least, I don't know, five, seven, sometimes even 10% of, not necessarily 10%, but uh, some exposure in the art world for an appreciating asset. And the Black community in particular has not always had access to that by any stretch of the imagination. And I say all that to say, do you think, we've talked about the education for the creator, but the education that is necessary to bring a fan base on board? Because folks can have thousands and thousands of followers, but if they don't know MetaMask and crypto itself is a whole new world, how are we going to, now I'm doing a lot of work in that space, but do you think that is keeping people on the sidelines? Just a lack of familiarity with the technology. Well, I really liked what you said. There are two things that I thought were very important about what you said that I want to kind of elaborate on. You were talking about gatekeeping and almost like officiating this space. Mm-hmm. And I will just like, I just want to take it a step further to not only say that like we've been kept out of these spaces, our art over like time, over centuries has actually been abused by these spaces. Like they almost view our art and our creativity as a commodity or like something that they can harvest, whether that be like elaborating on our ideas and, you know, taking them, stealing our ideas or like literally stealing our physical work and like putting it in museums and not giving it back, you know? Right. I just wanted to elaborate on that. And the other aspect that I think is super important, um, like you just said, is education and education in this platform and educating our people. My mother is an educator. So education is also very important to me. And I, when I was going into this space, one thing that I understood is that I would have to educate my audience about what NFTs were and why this was an important step to the creative community, because I felt like so many people, because the space is so new, they just didn't know about it. And there's so many, like you said, you have to learn MetaMask, you have to learn about cryptocurrency, you have to also learn why art is valuable to begin with. And I just felt like that was very important for me to teach my audience. So I started writing threads about what NFTs are and Mm -hmm. One thing I love to do with my audience is I love to question them and love to ask where their heart is or where their intentions are, where their creativity is right now at the moment. And I think that that really helps. You know, I try to ask them questions that pull their creativity out of them so they can start thinking in creative ways so they can start plotting out how they're getting to these end results in their art or in their feelings just in general. So I'll ask things, you know, like, what are three important lessons that your parents taught you? Or, Mm. um, you know, this is an age old question, but quantity versus quality. Um, You know, what is inspiring you today? Or what's an artist that you appreciate? And, you know, how would you like to be shared as an artist? And all these types of questions, I felt like were important to engage my audience while entering this new space. It's an exciting time. It is a time that requires us to reassess our relationship with a number of different things as well as people. I think this season of forced pause has given, you know, I'm always looking for whatever the divine moment is in anything and what this particular moment is here to teach us, to be sure. And part of that is our interpersonal relationships, certainly those who we can see in our home and those outside, but also our relationship to value. And as you said, to creativity, we just it's like we've exploded, imploded. I can't decide which word is the proper word, but I mean, it feels that, like both at the same time, honestly. Both at the same time, yeah. right? So, what's our Phoenix rising moment out of the ashes? And what that looks like is we get to rethink our relationship with a lot of things. And when I think of generational wealth and all these other things, crypto is so hyper focused on the dollars and cents. And we will talk about business as a lawyer, a business woman and all of that. But just the subjective value of holding something of beauty that is holding an important and necessary space. And then you talk about the cultural misappropriation, the theft, the Jesse Williams, I talk about it in in my 
NFT Law Guide Masterclass, I think that you heard as well, this idea of gentrifying genius, gentrifying Black genius is exactly what it is. We it's get a, a chance term. to- Isn't it? It's just like mind-blowing. Every time I, I like have to sit with yeah. it, I have to say Selah, I have to say Asha, like all of the things. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so powerful and so true. So how do we upend that system in a way that is meaningful, not just in this moment, but for the moments, well, I believe there's only one moment, but in the moments to follow, what does that mean? So in order to get there, though, education is going to be key. I know you're doing so much great work. I'm burning the midnight oil, trying to put out as much information as I can as well. I will drop in the show notes a bunch of links to information for you if you are a potential collector or investor, which is a different energy, but fine as well. If you're a creative, let's be about the business of learning something. I say you can't learn all the things, but you can start where you are and make sure that this time next year, you're in a different, more well-informed space. And that takes us to, you know, you've spoken a lot recently about the creative side of creating and minting NFTs, which is different from listing, as you mentioned. Lots of social media engagement, clubhouse rooms, et cetera. But I want to take a closer look at the business and marketing sides of success, especially given your recent success with Glow. So tell the good people why the whole Glow project is, what it is, the acronym of what it stands for. And let's talk about just the collab that you did that led to this collection. Yeah, so Grow is a um, collaboration set. I'm not sure if I can call it a collection exactly, but I will call it a set of pieces um, that I made with Grammy Award winning uh, music producer Ill Mind. He's done work for Drake, Uzi, J. Cole, Kanye West. I mean, even outside of hip hop music. Well, this isn't exactly outside of hip hop music, but it is extending hip hop's reach. He's done songs for um, Hamilton and Moana as well. Um, we just sort of had the opportunity to sort of link with each other and found a deep appreciation for each of our work. And um, we were just sort of passing along ideas, passing along tracks. And um, I started working on some pieces and Il had sent me back this acronym called GROW and it stands for give, respect, own, and win. And I looked at each one of those letters and each one of those words as like individual pillars of success. These are part of the pillars that build the temple that is success, you know, Mm. the importance of giving and giving back. As an artist, your job is literally to give like you are sharing yourself with the whole world. And I think in this space in particular, it's important to give fully yourself into the art that you're creating, but also to give back into the community because Mm -hmm. this space is so much about community. I think that digital artists sort of never imagined that their work would be valued the way that it is now. Mm -hmm. They didn't foresee a path to get the money that they were worth or just the value that they're worth, not even just about it being money, just about it being about respect and people appreciating their art for what their art is and not what can you do for me as a client, you know? So I think that so many of us feel the responsibility and the need to give back to one another. I think that's very important to this space and a part of success. The next word, respect, that one goes without saying like, You need to respect yourself as an artist. You need to respect other artists. You need to respect your collectors. Like you need to respect yourself. Like, and to me, that means integrity. So that's what that pillar meant for me. And, you know, once you start giving and respecting others, I think you get to the point where it's about ownership and this space is about ownership. You know, you were talking about what does this mean for us as black creators moving Mm -hmm. forward in the future? And ownership is a huge aspect of what this space means for us. It means when people are wondering who made rock and roll, they're not, they, they're going to know it's not Elvis because it's in the blockchain. You know what I mean? And that the part. Blockchain. <laughs> yes. That part. And, um, you know, once you get those sort of three things down, it's all about winning. You know, you've won at that point. And it's important for me to keep your eye on the prize. Like, that's what winning is. It's about creating goals and it's about, reaching those goals and obtaining the success that you want for yourself. So 
that's sort of what those pieces meant as a set. There are two animations and two stills. There are two daytime animations that sort of take place in, I considered it a museum, but when I was Mm. hearing people talking about it, they called it a temple. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like that interpretation. So I've been sort of running with that. I kind of like that a little bit better. And Mm -hmm. then the other side is a nighttime side that, you know, it's up for debate if it's really nighttime or not, because it's just in space. But um, (laughs) that was the other side, you know, Um, just trying to offer multiple different perspectives of the same concept. What do giving, respecting, owning and winning look? What does that look like in different environments, even if the process is the same? We hope you're enjoying this edition of Tech Intersect. Our conversation will continue in a moment, but first, a word on an exciting opportunity. There's a more cost-effective and time-efficient way to reach your leading-edge learning and earning goals, to put you ahead of the stiff competition in this fast-paced, tech-driven economy. You need skills, credentials, and a fast track to a competitive advantage. You need it now more than ever, and I can help. The Advantage Evans Method puts you ahead of the curve with condensed comprehensive online courses, curated content to leverage your current skills and expertise, live coaching, networking opportunities, and more. Upcoming courses include From Cash to Crypto to help you buy your first Bitcoin, and there are two ways to get your advantage. Advantage Evans Encore gives you maximum experience for your total competitive advantage and access for one year. It includes a live welcome and modules on terminology, buying and selling, exchanges, mining, earning crypto, trading and investing, and also several of the legal issues you need to know in order to be safe and secure as you enter this space. That includes tax compliance, how to plan for a Bitcoin estate, and securities laws to make sure you avoid any legal unforced errors. Now, Advantage Core gives you the essentials. It's a short course to give you what you want and the support you need to buy your first crypto in as little as three weeks with access to the information and replays for three months. And if you're not quite ready for your Advantage and want a sneak peek to try before you buy, then register for a free masterclass where I share my Crypto 101 success checklist and cover current hot topics in crypto. So there truly is something for everyone, including you, to get in on the fast track and learn and earn in the digital economy. Visit AdvantageEvans.com to get started. That's AdvantageEvans.com. And now, back to the conversation. That's really, really powerful. And it's always wonderful to have insight from the artist and also what I'm now hearing is that it's interesting for you to hear the interpretations, right? The eye of the beholder and all of that. And everybody has their own personal relationship and experience with art. So it is fascinating to hear things that you not necessarily contemplated in looking at the pieces, both the animated and the still. It's so fascinating to be able to see things in different ways or from different angles, you know, always have that experience in a museum or being up close, far apart, left, right, different lighting, different things might catch you at a different time as you continue to grow with the relationship. And I imagine that happens for you as you are being very intentional about every aspect of the work. But then at a certain point, you're not looking at the individual parts at any one time, but pulling back to see the full picture. Did your, you know, your transition, because if I recall, this was over in my mind, maybe a relatively short period of time, maybe this would be the average amount of time, but about two weeks from beginning to end for the creation of this piece. Is that accurate? Or this set of pieces? No, that is accurate. It did take about two weeks from beginning to end. And Mm -hmm. um, it felt like a whole lot longer. (laughs) I don't know. Just the, the process of releasing NFTs and marketing and stuff like that can really feel like your days are um, extended, I guess. And the NFT space in general just seems to move really, really fast. So it did take about two weeks. I would say that's for animation at the caliber that it was, I would say that it's a pretty decent average turnaround time for me. Um, You said something I wanted to elaborate on. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm kind of blanking out on what it was now. Um, 
Oh, you were asking about, you were talking about um, throughout the creative process, like being able to tilt and look at things at different angles. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to say that, you know, that in itself throughout my creation process, you know, I'm working in 3D. So in theory, it's like walking around outside. I can change my camera and I can change so much perspective in the piece. And while mm-hmm. I'm working on a piece, I do get so much perspective about what I'm looking at because I get to move around my piece in so many different ways. And that is what kind of inspires me to create these A side, B side uh, aspects of my pieces or day and night cycles to my pieces is because I get to see so many different perspectives of my own piece that I kind of feel like I am doing a disservice to my audience, to my collectors, to my viewers, if I don't give them multiple perspectives to view that piece too, because you can look at one piece one way and get a dramatically different perspective on it. And, um, you know, before I got into the NFT space, I actually didn't, I never used to talk about what I felt like my work meant to me because I felt like it was almost tainting what the viewer would see. If I said, this is what I felt like when I was making this, or this is what this means to me. Mm-hmm. I was I was feeling like the audience would almost internalize my own meaning and make that their meaning. Right. So that's why to me it's really interesting to see people say what they think these pieces are or what different things represent to them. Thinking about the selection of platform, I know that you are on Foundation, OpenSea, and obviously Maker's Place. And you decided specifically to use Maker's Place for this set of pieces and a bit of the business decision that went in to selecting one platform over another. So for this particular drop, we felt like Maker's Place, their name could help boost the legitimacy of our drop together, as well as they gave us more options in terms of how we could auction and release pieces. Foundation has very good name recognition because they are very consistent with how their pieces are auctioned and launched. And it it has a lot of benefits because of it. But the con is that there's only one way to release something. So when we were talking about different ideas about how we wanted to put these pieces out, I think that there was just a little more flexibility with how Maker's Place worked. For mm-hmm. instance, if you hit your reserve price on foundation, it triggers a 24-hour auction. And when that 24 hours is over, no one can bid on that piece any longer and it automatically goes to whoever bid the highest. And just with Maker's Place, we wanted to do more than 24 hours for a drop. We figured that we would hit our reserve prices decently quick, but we wanted to give people a longer opportunity to get acquainted with the art, to hear what we had to say about it, to be able to place their own bids on it and sort of see how that, how our storytelling can um, evolve with our pieces. Mm. That's why we chose Maker's Place. It just offered us a little bit more um, flexibility with our drops. And, you know, their back end is pretty decent mm-hmm. where you can upload a piece and, you know, you can keep it private. And as soon as you want to drop it, you just say, go to store. Then it just shows up automatically on your page. Mm-hmm. Um on foundation, you know, once you mint and list, it's up there and, you know, there's no hiding it. I see. Oh, that's interesting to know. That's good. And I think that's going to help a lot of people to help to distinguish. We will have more and more marketplaces popping up very quickly. This space, as you said earlier, is moving really quickly and there will be a lot of competition, I imagine, to make sure that one marketplace is favored over another. They're very different, both as a matter of how someone can even be, some are open, some are invite only. Very interesting to see that area develop. Something that you said led me to think about that pre-release March up was epic. Loved everything about it. And so share the experience of, okay, you have the piece. Now you know that you are going to list it. You have your listing plan. And then there's a whole marketing effort. You mentioned community. Community is really important in crypto. The decentralized community is everything. And it's showing itself in the art space as well. Uh, Now you have crypto and art coming together uh, and community is even more important. And that means that that pre-release marketing plan and that lead up is going to be critically important to make sure 
an artist hits their reserve sooner than later, depending upon what type of listing they're doing. Talk about that lead up because I was at your opening party on, what was it? Were we on Twitch? Where, where were we? So we actually did a NFT preview on Twitch. Yes. On Elmine's Twitch where he was playing some unreleased beats, some Amazing. unreleased songs. I don't want to get him in trouble, but um, <laughs> he was playing some bangers and right. he had set up a, a gallery viewing basically of the pieces and they were just playing on loop. And we did that for probably about 30 to 45 minutes, which led into our clubhouse event. Then we were doing a Q&A on clubhouse just about the process and the piece and um, the pieces actually launched when the Clubhouse event launched. That was our sort of day of rollout strategy. I personally love marketing. I think it is so much fun. And I think that it is something that maybe like not enough artists are like utilizing. I think maybe like a lot of artists, I used to have this fear that like marketing equals scummy salesmen. Right. And I don't think that that's the case at all. I think that it's about teaching your audience about your work and telling your own history, because if you don't tell your history, like who is going to tell it honestly? And um, marketing to me is just a really cool way to interact with your audience. It To me, it can show people that you care. And marketing is not all about sale, sale, sale. It's not all about you know, how can we get the highest return on investment or anything like that? It's about genuinely connecting with your demographic. It's about genuinely connecting with your audience. And it's about genuinely sharing and giving people value. Such a powerful statement because it really is a fine line, isn't it? I can imagine both on the creator side and for the collector or investor, some collectors and investors, you'll never know. They will have their pseudonym they will purchase your pieces and then that will be the end of it. Others, even if they remain with a pseudonym, you privately have some relationship. And then there's some that are, I'm here, I'm a collector, get used to it. I'm rocking with this dude until the wheels fall off, right? So all these different levels of engagement, but at the core of the experience for those with whom you have relationship, the operative word there is relationship. And you mentioned authenticity and connection and you can't manufacture that. You can have a disciplined plan of marketing. Before I entered the full-time academic space as a law professor, my family also has a, a publishing company. I independently published some of the books that I have a series of legal reference guides for writers back in the day. I'm working on some things for creatives and collectors now. But I knew that oftentimes I would sell a book on the strength of a cover and a significant plan because I knew that my books had 90 days on the shelf on consignment or they were coming back. I don't want any units coming back. <laughs> and so there has to be a great groundswell of anticipation before the drop in this case or before the publication date on the literary side. And that, to your point, is not scummy salesperson. That is, I love the way you described it as educating and getting people on board with what's available. And then you leave space for the magic. And you've done that really, really well in a way that is so endearing and so authentic. And it's the reason where even if someone never collects a piece, they're going to remain connected with you. And they're always interested in what's next. And, and some of the other social capital of, of sharing the information is powerful, I can imagine, as well. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm really glad that you have picked up on that in my marketing and, and can like appreciate that. Um, I'm sort of trying to figure out what more I want to say about marketing right now, because to me, it's so intuitive of an act. Mm. I want to help give people advice on marketing, but it is so geared to who you are as, in, as a person. Right. Um, well, think of this. Are there any don'ts? You are the kind of the, the, oh, the template yes, of do. What are the, let's do talk about the don'ts. Focus, <laughs> do not focus on what you are not doing. I just... <laughs> For I don't know why people think this is okay to say. I've recently seen someone on Twitter promoting an e-product of theirs, and they started their promotion off by saying, this is not a scam. <laughs> well, you have set me up already to, to make me think this is a scam. At this point in time, now you're just trying to prove or disprove this initial statement that you made. So maybe that's a good way to think about marketing is, you know, I try to tell people, 
for instance, I have this, um, it's a super simple way of marketing, right? And I have a partner, her name is Ayana, and she also works for herself. She's also a full-time like independent business owner. So Mm -hmm. we actually do a lot of reflecting between each other about what has worked in our marketing and what hasn't. Mm -hmm. So just, just one concept that she has kind of taught me and it's not anything complicated. It's not anything new under the sun or anything like that, but it is to put a meme right next to a meme reaction, right next to what you want people to see. Mm. So for me, what that does is you're telling people how you want them to feel right with this meme. So recently I announced my partnership with Netflix and I used this meme of uh, Megan Thee Stallion and she's like super excited. She's like, you see this? Like, this is crazy, right? And then I show you what you are supposed to feel that emotion about. So I'm telling mm-hmm. you, you're supposed to think, wow, this is crazy. Now it's up to me to prove that to you. What is crazy now? So now I'm going to show you what is crazy. So at this point, I'm just trying to make you feel like I'm just trying to validate that feeling. This is crazy. I'm not trying to validate any other feeling. I'm not trying to make you feel anything else rather than just prove to you that I think this is amazing. This is my proof for it. And this Mm. is how, you know, this is how I feel like a marketing voice works. So we were just talking about the opposite side of that is, you know, this is not a scam. Well, now when you say something like that, now everything after that is either going to prove or disprove that theory. And that's all I'm going to think about is this is not a scam by my product. Well, did you convince me that it's not a scam or not? You know, this is exciting news. Here's my product. Well, did you convince me this is exciting or not? Final question, and I'll, I'll get you out of here and back to creating. What do you think about the creator who either in anticipation of a drop or to amplify whatever's going on creatively, they're tagging the world, whether or not they actually have a relationship with the person? Maybe It's kind of a twofold question. One, everybody you know, and as many as you can get in on, on the Twitters and people outside, is that something that works, doesn't work, or it's a fine, you know, it's a fine line? For me personally, I don't like to do that because I don't like it when people tag me under their stuff. Right. Unprovoked. I feel like it's almost like um, like an invasion of my privacy almost. Mm-hmm. I also don't like it when people just like post links under art or something like that. I think that's very off-putting and I don't right. think that that leads to genuine connection. Even if you do build a sale from that, I don't think that that is how you build like a working relationship with your collectors. I think that um, it's not very authentic and it's not very accountable. Mm. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think both of us have had our fair share of tag-ins. You know, Twitter has the approach that sometimes people are using the reply function as spam. Absolutely. An unsolicited solicitation is not cool. Uh, whether you know the person or not, and the the FYI or the heads up, it's a fine line. Focus on being authentic. Focus on relationship. Focus on your creativity and aligning with those with shared visions who can have some type of mutual benefit. And mutual benefit doesn't always lead to a, a bottom line transaction. It's energy. So, what energy are you releasing into the world? What energy are you exchanging with others? And just be mindful of the energy that you bring into every experience and to think as much about that as you think about the creative endeavor and the marketing endeavor and the business endeavor, they're all interrelated. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's, it's an energetic experience, it's an energetic exchange and to be mindful of that. Any parting words on that particular thing? And then we'll talk about what's next for you and get you out of here. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. It's an energy exchange. That's the perfect way of thinking about it and looking at it. That's sort of how I go about thinking about it and looking at it is, you know, what am I giving you energetically in this in this process? Like, because you're going to give it back to me somehow, whether it be now or down the road. Like, if I'm going to be interacting with you publicly, I want you to feel like this was a good interaction. I want you to feel the value of who I am when I'm interacting with you. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Excellent. Uh, Well, you are vibrating at a high frequency, sir. 
And hey, I'm uh, practicing. I'm hoping so. <laughs> I see you. I see you. What's coming up for you in the short term, in the long term? What should people be looking out for? So short term, I am uh, releasing an NFT with Netflix. They recently released a docuseries called This is a Robbery, and it's about the biggest, the largest art heist in world history. I think it was in 1990. There are two guys dressed up as cops, and they went up to a Boston gallery, and they just walked up to the security guard, and they just said simply, this is a robbery. And I think that they were able to get into the um, gallery. They were there for almost an hour. I think most robberies, most art heists or whatever um, last for about seven minutes tops, mm. I believe. I'm just going off what, I, what I'm vaguely remembering. But um, they were in there for an hour and they stole 13 pieces, I think totaled $500 million. Mm-hmm. And um, people have said that this was... Um, the mob who are still in these pieces and um, they have not been found. And so me along with 12 other artists were commissioned by Netflix to create reimaginings of the work that was stolen. Uh, mine in particular is called three mounted jockeys. And um, I'll be, I'll be the piece is finished. Um, mm-hmm. I'm working on an animation for it. So if it gets done in time, my piece will be animated as well, but it is very epic. And um, a common motif in my work is uplifting black women. You will see powerful black women in this piece as well. Extraordinary. Well, I'm really excited for where you are and where you are taking us and where you're going. I'm excited for not just the black art realm, which is critically important, but all of the art world point blank and the period, because we know that from a cultural perspective, Blackness really propels much of the culture that we experience and that has been appropriated and misappropriated in the world. So that's that on that. I thank you so much for spending this moment to get to know you and your work and the future looks very bright for you. And I'm happy to be along for the ride. (laughs) Sorry for interrupting. I just want to say thank you again for opening this space to me. It really does mean a lot to me. And I feel like, you know, I feel like particularly honored to be able to work with you and align with you and professionals like yourself. I think the space is so new. And I think that, you know, as a lawyer, you hold definite value in this space. And I'm like honored that like lawyers want to like talk to me about my work and they view my work as important and like just these people, to me, you know, I view myself as an important person in the world and stuff like that. And, you know, sometimes artists are treated like they're not. Mm. But, you know, to me, it's confirmation of who I am and what I can do and what value I can bring to the world. So I just am so humble. I'm so happy. I'm so grateful that you are opening up your space with me. And I'm just excited to be able to make history with you. You know, there's a million artists and, you know, I get to be, I get to be one of them. I'm riding with you till the wheels fall off. And and I want that on a t-shirt and and have it be animated. (laughs) (laughs) I want some wearable art, sir. Oh, I'll try. I'm trying, I'm trying to, uh, to drop some, some physical merchandise to some pieces. Me and my partner were working on a collection together. Um, she, she, one of her businesses is called 721 AM and it is, um, an elevated alternative merch brand. Um, Mm. that's the quickest way I can summarize what she's offering over there, but we have some pretty cool, some pretty cool designs in the work. Love it. I'm going to drop a link to it's Ayana, correct? I feel like I follow her on the Twitters, but I'll get info. And I I believe you do as well. Um, Ayana, the Oracle. Yes, yes. I'm going to have to have her on here. Excellent. Hey, okay. you know, I'll call her in here right now. <laughs> oh, that's, what's that's right. See, I know people now. Look at that. One degree yeah. of separation. Please hey, tell man. her. I will She's be- in these Twitter streets too, man. You you see her popping around. She's a collector as well. Well, that's what's well, up. As well as me. Yeah. That's what's up. Um, absolutely. I look forward to the opportunity to connect with her as well. All right. 
let's go. And this is a perfect setup. I have to tell people, people who hear me and, and I kind of do my marketing thing. It's usually let's go and let's grow. And uh, that oh, wow. is, <laughs> so you see what we did right there? Yes, that is perfect. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to leave everybody with this. Let's go and let's grow. Andre O'Shea, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stay hydrated, everyone. Wow. What a generous, engaging, and authentic conversation with a rising star in the NFT art world, Andre O'Shea. Now, a couple of takeaways. After you master your creative craft or while you're developing your artistic point of view with an eye toward diving into the wild and wonderful and wide open NFT art space, you have to understand the business and marketing aspects to thrive and excel. Educating yourself and your community is key. And it all starts with you. To learn more about the legal aspects, visit AdvantageEvans.com and be sure to follow Andre on social media and all NFT platforms. It takes a village. And now with NFTs and blockchain, it's a disintermediated and global one. So let's grow. Thank you for sending in your comments, questions, and discussion items. Keep them coming so you can help me help you. Let me know what ahas and favorite moments you had listening to this episode, what questions you have. Drop a comment or tweet at Advantage Evans. And please take a moment to like, comment, and share this episode and this podcast with your networks. Follow me on social media and let me know what topics you'd like to hear more of and who you want to hear from. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine. Stay in touch with host Tanya Evans via your favorite social media on Twitter at at Tech Intersect and on Instagram via the handle Tech Intersect. This podcast has been produced by Stephanie Renee for Soul Sanctuary Incorporated.